0: Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre as we look ahead to the Billie Jean King Cup finals that begin this week. We have the WTA finals to wrap up and the final Masters 1000 of the season on the ATP side. The Paris Masters has come and gone as well. And a special guest for this episode as well, Mike. You had the chance to uh, speak with Rebecca Marino.
1: Yeah, Rebecca Marino, who's part of arguably the strongest um, women's uh, Billie Jean King Cup team ever assembled uh, for our country, along with Bianca Andreescu, who you just spoke with uh, the other day, Leilani Fernandez, Carol Zhao, and Gabby Dabrowski. I mean, this is without a doubt the the strongest group of women we've had, and knock on wood that they're all healthy by the time the tie starts against Team Switzerland and Team Italy, but uh, great to have Rebecca along, who... I really feel like, although she's not the marquee singles player on the team with Layla and Bianca being ranked higher, I think she could play a really vital role depending on how things go against both these squads, Um, maybe in doubles even. I kind of see her as that versatile kind of rover on the team who you could slot in anywhere and expect a really strong performance from.
0: Yeah, uh, I think she can be relied upon in in a couple different spots. If Sylvain Bruneau, who's acting as the interim captain for this week, if he wants, uh, the just the fact alone that we have three top one hundred singles players, I should say three top seventy five singles players, and um one top ten doubles player in Gabby Dabrowski, and even Carol Zhao has had a resurgence this season with two ITF titles. So uh, Sylvain Bruneau in uh, Canada's pre-tournament press conference, the first thing he said it, with his question is, "This is definitely the best line." uh, We have ever had. And if if you look back in history, what Canada has done uh, previously at the Fed Cup, best results in 1988 was making the semifinals. And uh, I feel like just with the roster here, the the sky really is the limit. And this is a group with with title aspirations.
1: Yeah, and we're in a nice group here. Group A with Switzerland and Italy. I, I like Canada against either one of these squads because of our depth. I mean, the Swiss have Belinda Bencic, terrific player in my mind, a, a top 10 presence. He mm-hmm. has Camila Georgi, who won the National Bank Open a couple summers ago, uh, somewhat surprisingly. Um, but beyond that, I, I can't see the one-two singles punch of any of those squads, like Bianca and Leila, who I think are both, I, I don't mean to say underperforming, but underperforming based on where we feel their ranking should be if they mm-hmm. were both... Um, You know, especially with Layla Annie coming back from that fractured foot in the summer and not having a ton of match play still to this point. Uh, I, I put them over either of those two squads in terms of on paper what they're bringing to the table here.
0: Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. And I think with the Swiss team, Belinda Bencic, it's almost like any scenario Bencic is in. It's absolute must win because if Benchich were to lose her singles match, whether it's against Layla, who she's had two actually great battles with this season, one at the French Open where Fernandez beat her, the other where Bencic won in three sets at Guadalajara, say if Layla beats Bencic to open that tie, I don't see a road where switzerland can be canada and similarly with italy you would think you know camila Giorgi would really have to come up with the goods martina trevisan's a nice player but she's a little more dangerous on clay uh where she's made semifinals of the french open i i think not as strong on hard right so, well and do then... we
1: get a leila annie fernandez trevisan rematch from the french <laughs> open that i <laughs> yes. think all canadian fans would say i'd like that i don't want to say should have gone because it went the way it went but uh you know if leila annie had been healthy i that she was punching her way to the semifinals in Paris.
0: Oh, I, I completely agree with you. Uh hundred percent. And now we move also, we should not overlook the fact that this is an indoor hard court surface and Canadians um, tend to play really, really well on indoor hard. Rebecca Marino plays awesome on indoor hard. I mean, look at what Felix Oceali seems done the past month on indoor hard. Like we've grown up on this surface uh, through our cold, bitter winters. So we know how to play it. And yeah, I, I think in group A, For me, Canada is this is maybe it's biased talking, but I I think Canada is the favorite, especially having Gabby Dabrowski waiting in the wings and doubles who she can play with anybody and they'll be a top team.
1: I think anyone would say that even outside of Canada from these three countries, if you look at it, um, you know, um, really uh, uh, objectively. And and let's get to that interview with Rebecca Marino, who I spoke with just a couple days before she headed over to Glasgow um, to play in Scotland, which I got to say, as as a McIntyre a proud, uh, you know, Scotsman with uh, ancestry who, that's where we came from. Uh, I was pretty, uh, pretty thrilled to be able to speak to uh, Rebecca Marino just before she headed over. So here is my chat um, with Canada's Rebecca Marino. Very pleased now to be joined with a member of the upcoming Billie Jean King Cup final squad for Team Canada. Uh, Someone who has now got her ranking back inside the top 100 well inside the top 100, I should say, at number 67 as we're recording. Uh, She made the third round at the US Open back in September, which was her best slam result going back to 2011, and recently was in the semifinals in a a WT event in Mexico. Rebecca Marino, welcome back to Matchpoint Canada.
2: Hey, it's always a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I feel like every time we've had you on this podcast the last couple of years, it's always been like, you know, Rebecca rising, like good things seem to be happening for you, uh, whether it's ranking results or Grand Slam qualifying or having some wins. And of course, numerous Billie Jean King Cup appearances. Has it felt for you like the last couple of years have been like a, a constant upswing? I mean, I know you're, you're working hard behind the scenes, but yeah. do you feel that as well?
2: Yeah, I've definitely felt like there's a good progression from year to year, month to month, like going up that that ladder step by step. I mean, it's been sort of a a long journey through this comeback. Uh, you know, coming out of retirement that started in 2018. So you know, from from then to now, to finally cracked the top hundred. Uh, that takes a while, but I feel like each year it was like, yeah, that going through the progression and knowing that my level was improving, and there were a lot of positive things. So yeah, I'd agree with what you were saying that there's been. Uh, sort of a, a good incline constantly.
1: And it seems like now regularly also included in the, uh, I almost said Fed Cup, but the Billie Jean King Cup uh, squad here. And, you know, I'm rocking my Team Canada hoodie right now um, because I think all of us here, whether you're a, a tennis fan or a tennis player, or, you know, for those of us who covered the sport and, and grown up with the sport, just to see the progress and the strength of both our female and our men's squads right now. Um, I I guess it it probably never gets old for you being included and asked to participate on this, this team.
2: Not for sure. For me. I mean, I have my team Canada shirt on right now as well. Um, for those listening and they can't see it um but yeah it's something that's always a a, just a pleasure for me to be a part of it's something that no matter what I always tell the the captain like it's always a yes for me I'll always make time to to play on the Billie Jean King Cup squad or what was previously Fed Cup just because it's so unique in the in the tennis world um that we can come together as a team we have a really strong female team right now men's team as well Um, And the fact that we can all sort of be on the bench together, supporting each other and representing in a country that we're really proud to be a part of, Um, you know, it's like wins across the board, so to speak. And and coming into the finals, um, which is our second year in a row, which is fantastic, um, we have a really strong squad. We have three top 100 singles players, Gabby, who's top 10 doubles, and she's playing the WTA finals this week. Um, and then Carol Zhao, who's had a fantastic year. She's really climbed up the rankings and is, is poised to get into Australian Open qualifying. So I feel like we have one of the top teams in the world now. And it's yeah. really it's really exciting.
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad you spoke about the strength of the team because, I mean, I feel since the roster was announced, everyone has been kind of buzzing like, oh, my goodness, I think this is the strongest Team Canada we've we've ever seen. Um, and, you know, knock on wood that everyone stays healthy up until when the first match is played because you never know in any sport, especially with tennis. Um, but do you also feel like this is the mo- most potent group that that Canada's ever assembled for um, the women's competition?
2: Yeah, I, I think personally, uh, during at least my playing years, it's definitely been the strongest group. I was trying to think if we've ever had three top 100 players um, selected for our squad, and I'm not sure, at least while I've been on it, um, I'm not sure that's happened. So this is something I think we should be really proud of as a tennis nation, um, that we have so many fantastic players in depth and, in our in our country so um yeah great great exciting things all around
1: and going to scotland going to glasgow home of andy murray uh <laughs> have you been to to scotland before or glasgow before
2: no so i'm super excited to get to glasgow um actually when it was announced gabby Debrowski and i kind of i think we were we were in the same week somewhere together at another tournament and we were like okay we're both going to Glasgow. This is somewhere I've always wanted to go, which sounds really random. It's probably like quite dreary and rainy, but hey, Vancouver <laughs> is too, where I'm from. Right. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're stoked. I'm stoked to, to get a chance to, to get to Scotland and to see what, what it's all about. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be really amazing to to have the finals there too, because British tennis has sort of had a revival with Canu winning the US Open and, and all that. So I, I'm hoping we get a really good crowd turnout.
1: I might be biased because I'm a McIntyre and we come from Scotland, you know, and I've, I've been there myself. Um, but yeah, just a great vibe and energy and, and friendly people. If you get a chance afterwards, I would highly recommend going to Edinburgh, but uh, I don't know what your travel plans are beyond Billie Jean King Cup. Maybe you can fill us in. What comes next for you?
2: Um, After Billie Jean King Cup, I'm actually going to start my off season, preseason. I know there's, what's the difference? Someone asked me the right. other day, what's the difference between off season and preseason? I'm like, there really is no off season. You just go straight into preseason. But I'm I'm actually going to take a week off tennis. I plan a vacation, uh, which is the first time I've done this in forever, just because it's been a really really long long year. I think I played close to 70 matches or so, um, which was a lot. Um, so just to give myself a break mentally from tennis, and then start start uh, prepping for for Australia I haven't set my schedule for Australia yet um, but there's some exciting events we have the United Cup they have some events in Adelaide and Hobart is coming back Auckland A O N Melbourne so I have to decide but in the meantime I'm just focusing on Billie Jean King Cup finals and then once that's done I'll get some good rest and start prepping
1: I really feel for you tennis players because I feel like a week off is so cruel that it's not longer than that. And I almost sense like when I talk to tennis players about their offseason plans, they're almost apologetic when they say, oh, I'm going to take a week off, you know, as if that is derailing the preparation already for the next year. Um, Is it is it just too much to ask to take any more time for that? Would you feel like you might be losing an edge on your opponents if you don't get back to work sort of right quick after that week?
2: Um, I mean, it really depends player to player. For me, I say I take one week off. I'm actually going to have two weeks away from tennis, but then one one with fitness as well. So it's sort of like bringing myself back in. But it just depends from a from an individual standpoint, and also when your next event is going to be. Um, so for for me, because I have Billy Jean King Cup, which is pretty late in the season, it means I have very few weeks to start preparing. So I kind of shorten my my break uh, more than. I would want. Um, and then, yeah, potentially, uh, depending what I pick to do, it could be a December 29th start with the United Cup. So that really leaves very little time. Um, and so you might see the same thing happening with other players um, in the top 100 men and women, um, just taking a little bit less time off this year because there's just really not much time left uh, to prepare.
1: When you look back at 2022 for you overall, I mean, if we went back to January and and you think back to whatever goals you might have set for you this year, um, did did you surpass your own expectations? Was 2022 a big win in your books?
2: It was definitely a big win. I mean, um, for me, starting out the year, my goal was to get top 100. And and with that entailing uh, that I could get into Grand Slam main draw on my own ranking, that was like... like my number one goal was actually getting main draw slams on my own um and i did that at wimbledon but i didn't really feel that that counted because i you know russia and belarus were excluded so i kind of snuck in but yes open i definitely achieved that and that was kind of where i was aiming to have that happen and then uh just the rest has been a bonus getting top 70 and and sort of solidifying um my ranking well within top 100 like you said earlier in the The intro um so yeah it's it's been fantastic and I'm really optimistic uh about what's happened but also what's gonna come for the next year because I feel like I've set myself up really nicely and I'm playing really well and I'm feeling really confident so yeah it's been great
1: (laughs) knowing all the hard work you've put in because you've been so gracious with us on Matchpoint Canada over the years talking to us several times so happy for you getting that third round at the U.S. Open just looking at the ranking points and the prize money alone I was like oh that's gonna do so much for a player who's been working so hard, how, how does that help you then, you know, continue to build in 2023, having a result like that, both financially and and the ranking, you know, boost that it gives you?
2: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it gives me a little bit more flexibility in knowing uh, what tournaments I can enter, flexibility financially in terms of knowing I can I have my coach that can travel with me, um, knowing what events I can travel to and picking those that, um you know, I can spend a little bit more ne- money to travel to. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of twofold, uh, the ranking points and the, the money, like you said, um, it just makes it so that, um, you know, it makes it a little more um, relaxed, I guess. And I can just focus purely on my tennis and not have to consider all these different factors and not be chasing the points is, I mean, you're still chasing the points, but
1: knowing ends, that I have it at yeah. US
2: Open, <laughs> I know it never ends, but having that good point jump at US Open means I have like, a good 6 months at the beginning of the season to like really make some some more uh some more jumps and and not feel the pressure to defend quite so soon.
1: Right on. Hey, one of those events mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned there in passing was the United Cup, which is I think a really cool initiative and idea to bring the WTA ATP together, has some ranking points as well involved. Um, you know, there used to be the Hopman Cup, which I always enjoyed watching at the start of the year, although it maybe wasn't quite as competitive as what this might be, but Uh, Are you excited about the prospect of kind of prospect of joining forces with some of the Canadian men and, uh, and seeing what this combined event can, can do for Canada?
2: Yeah, this is, this is super cool. I think it's actually a really great idea from tennis Australia and WTA and the ATP to sort of combine forces um, to use your wording. Um, Because yeah, it's it's almost like an amalgamation of the the ATP cup that they had before and Hotman cup, um, but also a little bit like Billie Jean King cup and Davis cup kind of, um, all combined. So I think it's, it's a great idea. Um, we're going to be qualified because of Felix He yet amazing year um, and he's finishing his year off really strongly. So he's qualified us being um, I think one of the top six men. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll see who, who decides to enter and, and, bring up the squad. But I think it's just a great idea that they've decided to kick this off, uh, start the, the summer in Australia. And, um, you know, hopefully we can make an event that happens annually.
1: Well, we'd love to see you there, and we're all excited. I know our listeners are excited to see what you girls and women can do at the Billie Jean King Cup here coming up. So all the best in Glasgow. Um, Maybe don't try the haggis on your first trip there before the tournament, you know, just to be safe. And um, I'm really excited to see you and Leila Annie not on opposite sides of the net as well this time.
2: I know, that's what we said when we finished the match. I was like, I'm sorry, I was I was just pretending I was playing someone else. But like I'm excited to be on the on the bench and cheering for you in Glasgow. We're teammates first and foremost and friends. Um and you know, I was I was sad that we had to play each other. Um so hopefully the next time that ever happens it'll be a final somewhere. But uh, you know, we're we're pretty lucky that the the women on on Team Canada um for the tennis players were all great friends and support each other a lot so that's why i think it's great to to be all together in glasgow and i think we're gonna have a really great week but i guess we'll have to wait and see
1: well enjoy yourselves good luck and thanks for joining us once again
2: thanks a lot i really appreciate it
0: there's Mike's conversation with Rebecca Marino, who's in Glasgow for the first time. I haven't visited Scotland. Surely you've been, what, probably several times, I imagine. No,
1: you know what? You'd think I'd been several times, but it wasn't until about four years ago, 2018, really? I took a trip with my brother and my dad. And uh, I did a little digging on Facebook and found some McIntyres in a small town called Cardross, which is just a little bit uh, southwest of Glasgow. And that's where my family came from. And sure enough, they were the only McIntyres that came up from this small town. And they're relatives of mine. My great-grandfather and their great-grandfather were brothers. We reconnected. They made us feel like we were right at home. And uh, Yeah, so close to my heart. uh, But that's the only time I've been over there. And, um, you know, to just get back to the tennis here, I could talk about the McIntyre family history. (laughs) But we'd probably lose a few listens. Um, Rebecca Marino seemed super chill and super content when I spoke with her. Just in terms of all that she's accomplished in
0: 2022. Yeah. And. Uh, I feel like in a in a way she's almost downplaying it you know she's talking about this this gradual progression and rise in the rankings which is absolutely true and she's right on that but I, I mean to come as far as she's come you look at her rankings now being 67th in the world this is her best ranking since 2012 and there's been some first this season you know getting to a third round of a Grand Slam for the first time I think since 2011 which is an incredible breakthrough she's won 49 singles matches which is a career high in season for her and she mentioned it as well on the podcast she's won over 70 uh, she's played over 70 matches so it's been an incredibly long season and in part that tells you she's really putting the work in and we know top 100 was a goal for her for a long time so to be inside the top 75 and now knowing that she has you know, easy qualification into the Grand Slam main draws every time she plays them. Those WTA 1000s, you know, shortly she won't have to go through qualifying there. It's such a big step in her career, and it's coming at the latter stages of her career when she's 31 years old.
1: Yeah, well said. And and you know what? I, I wouldn't even say she's 31 years old, like like in a traditional sense, because of the time she took away from the pro- yeah. professional tour, not having that grind year in and, and year out. I, I think she's as fresh a 31-year-old as as you can find anywhere, and with that serve and that big forehand and this confidence and rising ranking, I mean, I think that Rebecca could do some really great things in the next, uh, you know, two, three, four years even.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, I certainly see her as a top 50 contender. I, I know her career high is just inside that top 40 range, and who knows, maybe she can break, break that, um, but... I I certainly think she will play a role for Canada in the Billie Jean King Cup Finals. Uh, We should shift over to the tournament that did just end wrapping the WTA season, which was the end of year WTA Finals from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Certainly a surprise surprise Winner and certainly a surprise finals, I would say, based on how everything has gone. But Caroline Garcia is your WTA finals champion, defeating Arena Sabalenka 7-6-6-4. And I have to say, after watching the way Iga Sviantek played through that round-robin stage, I think everybody was penciling her in to close with a bang and yet another trophy. But Garcia, for me, has been one of the best players on the year. Basically, second half post-French Open, she's been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, if you look at the record for her, I mean, at the French Open, she did win the doubles at the French Open with uh, Christina Bladenovic. So there was That's a right. success there, just not in singles for her. And then the grass court season, it took her a couple tournaments on the grass, but then it finally clicked just before Wimbledon, where she beat Bianca Andreescu in the finals uh, of a warm-up event. And it just went from there. She was winning on grass, she was winning on hard court, she was winning on clay court. I think she won three tournaments on three different services, all in the span of just a few weeks. Um, Did very well in Cincinnati, too, if memory recalls She won Cincinnati, I believe. So there you go, won Cincinnati (laughs) and made the semis of the U.S. Open, too. So just a great, you know, second two thirds of, uh, of the season. And, you know, when we had Pam Shriver on last week for our episode and I asked Pam who were the most surprising, who was the most surprising inclusion of the final eight women, if we had gone back to January and kind of thought, okay, who's the least likely to make it there? Obviously, Caroline Garcia's name came up uh, just because of the ranking, you know, upheaval that that she went through. But also, she mentioned Arena Sabalenka due to uh, the Belarusian serving blips uh, back in January that were just absolutely abysmal. And and the final tonight, as we're recording this, between Garcia and Sabalenka, the serving was superb, particularly in the first set where neither player was broken, getting them to a tie break. And then even there, Sabalenka got a quick mini-break, was up 2-0, looked like she had a bit of an upper hand. Garcia then reeled off six straight points, one of them being a double fault by Sabalenka, who then double faulted again, unfortunately, on set point to hand the uh, tie-break and the first set, the opening frame, to Garcia. So it was kind of unfortunate that after such great serving in that set, that Sabalenka had that moment. And then I think that was obviously weighing on her, because to start the second set, she allowed Garcia to break her right away. And, and the French woman never looked back from, from that point, uh, taking it in two straight sets.
0: Yeah. And, and look with this title, that's that's four on the season and she's back equaling her career high ranking of number four. And I was just checking her year-end ranking, by the way, in 2021, 74th. I have to say, she must be a shoe-in for most improved player of the year or comeback player right. of the year. Right. Uh, however you want to frame that. I Probably most improved. I, I mean, that big of a leap in, in this great of a season. Uh, surely she will take that award. Um, just a note and a bit of a surprise given how well they played going into it Coco Goff and Jessica Pagula completely shut out in the WTA finals both going 0-3 in the singles play and both losing all of their doubles matches this is a surprise and then you sometimes wonder at this stage of the season it's such a long year if burnout can sometimes be a factor as well
1: it's a long season for sure, and Pagula admitted to that. I think in the aftermath, saying that she just didn't have anything left. And for Coco Goff, let's just keep this in mind too. What what an incredible season for her—the best she's ever had as a professional. Not that she's had too many at this point, but I think that also plays into it as well. You know, trying to pace yourself mm-hmm. over an 11-month grind and 11-month season, which is unlike any other professional sport really that's out there. So, not surprising when you put it in that uh, context. And um, you know, just to, um, to to touch on again the the, um, the the final result between Garcia and and Sabalenka, I mean, two players that that can use this to move forward as well. I mean, Sabalenka to have the confidence that she really does belong in that top five, top ten in the women's game. Garcia, who can hopefully consolidate on that and maintain that next season uh, as well. I, I know there are a lot of uh, really happy fans of Caroline Garcia out there whose tagline on Twitter is uh, hashtag Fly with and and one of them is a friend of mine. Her name is Celeste. She's at triple Breakpoint on Twitter, very active trip uh, Twitter presence and uh, always been a diehard Caroline Garcia fan. We sometimes forget, not only is it the players that go through ups and downs, but, but their fans sometimes <laughs> even more so in some yes, ways, that, of course, you know, the emotion that they hang on to. So uh, it's always nice when you see a player have a moment that, that comes unexpectedly and, and for Caroline Garcia, several moments, um, and we should also mention the Canadian, the lone Canadian who was there, Gabby Dabrowski, her and Juliana almost, uh didn't make it out of round-robin play. They went one win and two losses. Uh, their last match was a loss to eventual champions, uh, Murdens and Kudermatova. Um, Gabby's going to hopefully save her best for last, which is the uh, the Billie Jean King Cup for Canada, of course.
0: Yeah, and I, I still think a good showing to get one win, which is actually 12-10 in that super breaker against Ostapenko and uh uh, kitchen, Kichonik, uh from from Ukraine, so getting a victory there was impressive. <laughs> I felt bad for Gabby because we were getting team photos from Canada at the Billie Jean King Cup Finals. She hadn't got there yet to Glasgow because she was taking the trip over from Fort Worth. So right now, it's just photos with the four singles players and Sylvain Bruno. Gabby, uh, unfortunately, was left out of those because she hadn't arrived yet. Um, they can Photoshop
1: she... <laughs> that in later. I've seen it <laughs> yeah. done with my kids' house league hockey team when there's Perfect. someone who's missing. So if they can do it at that level, yeah, I'm pretty sure to... WTA finals has to put, or, put on her like Billie King cup finals. They yes. should be fine.
0: Yes. Just put on the evening dress and she'll be uh, good to go. But she was, uh, she was in positive uh, spirits in the pre-tournament press conference and remarked on how great the uh, camaraderie is between all of them. So that's, that's a great sign. And she's going to be uh, a serious threat, I think for, for Canada at that event, Um wrapping up the final men's event of the ATP season prior to the ATP finals, uh, we'll start with Felix Oja Yassim. I mean, he had to lose eventually, but I have to say this was another impressive tournament for him, uh, to get all the way to the semifinals of the Paris masters before losing to the surprise eventual champion Holger rune. And, you know, for Felix, um, It's a little fascinating that the last time he had been to the semifinals of Masters 1000 was actually a few years ago in Miami um, before losing a tough match to John Isner. So, you know, sometimes you overlook like these are big, big tournaments. It's very hard to get into the latter stages of these master one thousands. And he hadn't been to the semis of one of them uh, for a few years and a couple great wins. Um, He dug very deep to beat uh, Michael Emer in that second round there, six, seven, six, four, seven, six, great win over Francis Tiafo, who seemed like he had no answers for the way Felix was playing uh, before he ran into probably the, other hottest young teenager right now outside of Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Rune, who then shocked Novak Djokovic uh, to win the title.
1: Now, listen, you say Felix had to lose eventually, but but did he? Did he really? Because <laughs> I mean, who wasn't thinking after those three tournament wins, rising confidence, wins over the world number one Carlos Alcaraz, among others, who didn't think, hey, maybe something super special is happening here? And, well, and and, yeah. and it wasn't out of question as he started progressing deep through that draw. I mean. I picked him to go up against Djokovic in my uh, Tennis Canada bracket challenge. So I was looking like, oh man, it's finally man. coming together yep. for me. It's been a whole year of mispicks and, and failures for me, but it's all going to come together in this final tournament. And he almost made it there, you know? So I haven't looked at my standings or my rankings, but I think I finished strong. Uh, I did have Djokovic over Felix in my bracket, by the way, and I would have picked Djokovic over anybody. So full credit to Holger Roon for coming along and, and ruining, uh, you know, Nole fam's, um you know, hopes and dreams there. But, uh, you know, I think for a 35-year-old Djokovic, also to speak of him for a moment, not a bad way to end a season that really started on the, the absolute wrong foot, ended in a much more positive manner. And, you know, hopefully at the start of next year, look, I, I'm hopeful to see him in Australia playing in Melbourne. I'm hopefully that they'll allow him in, that that'll be, you know, what's happened has happened. And now we're moving forward as you know not just here in canada but every country moving forward from the pandemic and and it's not over but but trying to sort of move forward from it and uh, and i'd love to see him there and and he's reminded us again not that we needed a reminder uh that uh, that he is still at the very top of of the men's game and and in my mind still i i think the number 1 player in my mind on the men's tour
0: yeah and uh i i think what's especially incredible about what Novak Djokovic has managed given his season and the fact that he was of course kept out of Wimbledon and the U.S. Open missing all those opportunities sorry not Wimbledon pardon me (laughs) he won Wimbledon uh, being kept out of uh, the Australian Open and the U.S. Open not getting points at Wimbledon of course others didn't either Um, but given all of that and everything that's transpired, he's still qualified for the ATP finals uh, with this last event making the final. I mean, that's that's an incredible achievement. He only played 13 events, only played two out of the four slams, and and still qualifies inside the top eight. Uh, I still feel like with his presence, uh, the rest of the tour does feel like he is the best player in the world, and it took a Herculean effort from Holger Rune to, to defeat him. Uh, the difference in the match, really, Djokovic 2 for 12 on breakpoint opportunity Rune 3-for-3. Three three. Uh, talk, talk about making the most of your chances and you have to take them. That's what Rune did. He beat five top ten players, by the way, en route to the title, which is incredible, and crazy. he he saved three match points. That first match against Stan Wawrinka, saved three match points, came back and won it, and that just turned the tide. Then he beats Hercac, gets a win over Rublev, defeated Alcaraz, who sadly uh, suffered a tear in his abdomen, so he's now out of the ATP finals. Then, of course, uh, ends is that field- Spanish thing
1: by the way is that a Spanish thing <laughs> Abdomen issues? being sort of susceptible
0: well I will tell you I mean both Carlos Alcaraz and Rafael Nadal seem to play an incredibly physical style of tennis and you think of maybe that that torque and rotation maybe they are a little bit more susceptible to an injury like that uh, one can wonder um but
1: and Roon... with Holger and with Holger Rune don't we see that so many times where you're facing match points or a match point early in a tournament you overcome that and then go all the way, yeah. you know, kind of playing with house money. Exactly. And, uh, and that was the match against Vavrinka where their handshake at the end of the match, Stan was kind of giving him some life lessons, if you will, in terms of, <laughs> Hey, you know, like kind of suck it up a little bit and, and just work on that on court demeanor. And, uh, Hey, not everyone can be uh, you know, a nice guy like Felix 24 seven. So <laughs> tennis does require a little bit of that, you know, edgy personality too. And some character just to give it some, you know, sandpaper, I think, but, uh, Boy, I'm super excited for 2023 already in terms of what young players like him, Alcaraz, Felix, have in store for us. And I'm not trying to push Nadal and Djokovic out the door. Let's enjoy them for as long as we still can. But I think the ATP Tour is going to be just fine with these young guns uh, once those two other legends follow Roger Federer into retirement.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I'd like to see these rivalries grow in the next couple of years before they do eventually, uh, head on out the door and it will be fascinating to see how the ATP finals unfold as well. Um, as we're getting nearer to the season, yeah, be sure to follow Canada as uh, they begin their Billy Ching King Cup Finals campaign Thursday against the Italians. Then they will play Switzerland on Friday. should also mention we have Canadian tennis over at the Calgary Challenger. A lot of Canadians in action, including Vashik Pospisil, so follow along there.
1: And if you've enjoyed this episode in our uh, chat with Rebecca Marino, then also be sure to check out the uh, standalone episode we released on Monday with Ben, your chat with Bianca Andrescu, mm-hmm. who gave you the the quote before I think General Press in saying that she doesn't like being ranked in the 50 range that she's looking forward and thinks that she can get back to top 10 next year. Yeah, that's that's
0: right. Uh, she's had also, she, she doesn't like seeing that number 46 next to her name, which I told her I don't think reflects reality. Um, and I, I really think we are going to see her soaring back up the rankings in, in no time. Guys, you've been listening to Point Canada. We will talk to you next time.